0: So I want to ask you a question as we begin this morning. We just saw a uh, song, that song that Phil led us in. It is well with my soul. And if you were to reread those stanzas again, not in song, but from a practical, this is what I genuinely believe. Would you agree with those words? I'd like to think so. You know, sometimes we'll sing these songs and it's OK when we sing it. But now when we when we actually say those things, maybe in a sermon format, we've we got some questions. And the reason why I say that is, is because many Christians over centuries have had questions about their salvation. When, when we look at the whole subject matter about assurance, you know, can I know that if I were to die right now, I'd be with God in heaven? Can anyone know? And the reason why I say that maybe in songs we can sing these songs and feel great about them, but when we actually discuss them, we start having questions and maybe debate and caveats. Well, this, but that. And then we're not so sure. You know, when I was doing research for this article, I wanted to just read what other brethren have written over the years. And I came across an article that Paul Earnhardt had had written. I don't know if it was early of just a few months ago or years. I have no idea. But some church had that. And and in the very beginning of this article, he said, you know, all my preacher friends, we've been wrestling over this idea of the assurance of our salvation. Why would we wrestle over it? You know, why do we have debates and discussions over a subject matter that when we read Scripture... It's quite evident when we sing the songs, we agree with them and we sing them. But when we discuss them, I'm not so sure. And then we further have confusion because we wonder about whether or not I'm I'm actually going to be saved. I've heard brethren say that. Like if I were to die right now, I don't know if I'd be saved because, you know, I've done this. I've not done this as well as I need to. That's why I'm asking you this morning to be challenged with this question. Why? Why would we have to ask whether or not we're assured of salvation? And I believe, believe it's a legitimate question for you to ask. And I believe that when we get through this lesson, that you'll be encouraged to be able to answer it biblically in a sound manner and confidently, not in yourself. By all means, by the time you get through this lesson, I hope none of the confidence will be in yourself, but in the Lord and what he has done. And that when we sing the song again, it is well with my soul and reread those words. Yeah, we'll sing it with a whole great conviction that maybe we've not sung in the past. And we'll not just sing it louder because it sounds like a great song and it sings well loudly. No, we'll sing from the bottom of our hearts, very genuinely, very sincerely believing the things that we just sang. And hopefully by the end of that le- this lesson then, when we get to that song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine that will mean exactly what we are singing. That we sing and believe and live with assurance. And so I'm hoping that you'll be encouraged with that this morning. You know, you have to have this caveat. It, it is just, you can't go without it because of the mindsets that many of us have. That when we're talking about the assurance of salvation, we've also got to talk about the fact that there is something called apostasy. You know, we have friends, religiously speaking, when we talk about salvation, that there's this belief that once you're saved, you cannot lose your soul. In fact, you go further into this mindset and some would say, well, God, before the world was ever created, pick and chose individuals who are going to be saved. And the rest of us, we have no choice, no matter how much we desire the Lord. And those that live as ungodly, but God chose them, no matter what you can, do, what you do, you will not lose your soul. That's a belief that is stated. It's taught. But what we do is we, in the name of showing that error goes so far the other end, it's all about us. It seems as though we might not sit with our lips, but we believe it because I've heard it. I've heard with my own ears over 20 years of, I, I just don't know. If today was the day, I don't know if I'd be with the Lord. And you know why Jimmy's service was so encouraging to us a couple of weeks ago? Because he had that conviction, that assurance. And some brethren were a little, oh, well, it's kind of, kind of a little arrogant there. And other brethren saying, how wonderful to have that kind of conviction. And there's the debate. So brethren, I want us to know that the debate, at least while it's going to continue on until the Lord comes, should be able to end right here, right now for for many of us. If you're questioning it right now. And it is my desire that it will end. And so I want us to note some things with regard to our salvation. But first, I want to talk about the fact of apostasy. If you were to take this entire letter that Paul writes to the church at Rome, I believe your answer is. Is right there in front of your face. He deals with it in depth. And in fact, if Paul's not good enough for you, then read 1 John, particularly chapter 3. But read that letter as well. Because I believe what we have is something so so concrete as to how we should think how we should live with conviction about the salvation of our souls. But you see, even the Apostle Paul deals with apostasy, deals with those who have a relationship with God and lose it. I want us to look. In Romans chapter 11, we're going to kind of skip around here and then maybe kind of solidify everything and come back together when we get into Romans chapter 8 again. But I want us to, to note some things. In chapters 9, 10, and then as we get into chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is dealing with the history of the Israels under the law of Moses. So you have this history whereupon Abraham, a man of faith, has been promised by God that in you all families of the earth will be blessed. And so here comes the Jews centuries later. They are covenant people with God. And they live their lives in the Lord. And then fast forward until the Messiah comes, of which is the pinnacle of God's redemption plan. Many of these Jews have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. They reject Him. They do not believe that He was the Messiah that was to come into this world as the Son of God, bringing forth a new kingdom, bringing forth a covenant that would do away with what the law could never have done was never meant to do. And they could not accept the good news. They could not accept Jesus as the Christ. So in chapter 11 then, when you kind of fast forward into verse 14 following with this whole discussion, look at what it said. In fact, I'm just going to go ahead and back up to verse 11 and and go from there. Paul says to the church at Rome, I say then in verse 11, Romans um, 11 verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you, Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are of my flesh and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their be acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so also are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith, do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He may not spare you either. Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fail, severity. But toward you, goodness, if you continue in His goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off of the olive tree, which was wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into the olive tree? Okay, so what he is saying here is that you have these Jews... Who rejected Jesus Christ, and because of their rejection, the gospel came into all the world to so those who were not Jews, Gentiles. And Paul is saying, and he's hoping that as he magnifies his ministry, as he's able to go out and preach the gospel, the Jews are going to get jealous. And maybe some of them, through that jealousy, they might believe or come to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And some of them may be saved. But he says, now I want you to know, these Jews are just like branches. And the branches that did not believe that Jesus was the Christ, they're cut off. Now you, who believe in Jesus Christ, you're grafted in. And maybe, just maybe, these branches that have been cut off, they might be able to be grafted in again because God is able to do that with them. Don't boast. Because the root, Jesus Christ, is the one who gives you your salvation. It's not like you've done anything of yourself that is able to say, well, because of me, I'm saved. Because I have this faith, I'm saved without my faith. I'm not going to be saved. Well, I can already hear some of the voices among us in here because faith is necessary. Yes, absolutely. But that's not what saves. Faith is essential, but that in and of itself is not the power of salvation. That comes through the blood of Jesus Christ through sacrifice. The scriptures say it explicitly. And so what we have then is this boasting, not in ourselves, but in the root, who supports us and gives us life. So what we have is this picture in this dialogue going back and forth between Jew and Gentile and the discussion is of apostasy. That because of unbelief, Jews are cut off. And the same thing for Gentiles if we live with this unbelief. Well... Look at what the scriptures reveal about this kind of unbelief. Paul, when writing to the church at Galatia, or the churches in the region of Galatia, says to them, how is it that you have so quickly become contrary or turned away from the gospel that was delivered to you? Why is that? You have this gospel, the good news that Jesus is the cross, the Son of God, and now you don't stand in that belief? If anyone teaches any other message than this message, anyone teach any other gospel than this gospel, let him be accursed. Because this is the message of salvation. That's what Paul says to the churches in Galatia. That's why this whole letter is a letter of rebuke against them. And that's why the Apostle Paul has to go back, give historical background and says, listen, the law was to bring you to Christ. And those who are found in Christ, Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 through 29, are heirs with Abraham, true sons Of faith. So if you reject the gospel, after having tasted the goodness of salvation, the goodness of heaven, this is the Hebrew writer says, you're apostate. That's the reality. It's not a feeling. It's a reality. When you reject the apostle, excuse me, excuse me, reject the gospel, you reject. Jesus Christ himself. And so in 2 John chapter... uh, Well, (laughs) 2 John verses 7 through 9, when you read the text there, the whole letter is being written from a standpoint that there are those that do not anymore believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. You know, it just goes against Gnosticism. And so, well, you know, logically, because God is spirit, and spirit is good, and man is flesh, and therefore man is evil, well, Jesus Christ could not have come into the... okay. Got it now. Jesus did not come in the flesh. You're apostate. In fact, he goes on to say when you read past verses 7 through 9, when you read verse 10 and 11, don't even have fellowship with such a person. Don't eat with such a one. This is a person who's rejected Jesus as coming in the flesh, having died, and by way of the flesh, put away sin. That's what we just read. That's what Jody just read for us in Romans chapter 8. You become apostate when you supposedly put to death the man of sin, that flesh, by faith. But no longer live with that mindset. You go back to the ways of the flesh, you live according to the flesh. And so when you read Romans chapter 8, which is what we're going to be doing in the next few minutes. When you read Romans chapter 8, you can see the difference between one whose mind is set on the spirit and one whose mind is set on the flesh. We are told in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 22, that the works of the flesh, those who live this way, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. See, apostasy is a reality. It's not just a feeling like, I don't know if I'm saved. You can know for sure. You can know that if you reject the gospel message... If you reject Jesus himself, even as simple as, well, I believe in Jesus, but he never really came in the flesh. You're rejecting Christ and the whole message of salvation when you do that. Or when you reject the fact that the Spirit of God has come into you as a seal for that promise of salvation. And you don't even walk according in harmony with what the Spirit reveals is is the way to live in pleasure to God. You're apostate. No matter what your words tell you. You're not living with the Lord. We can go on and on about others like Matthew 7 verse 21. Those who are false prophets. False teachers. Ravenous wolves. Not people who are doubting going I'm trying to serve you Lord. But those. They're evil. They're wicked. But they come in as sheep's clothing. Come in with that sheep's clothing. But. That's not who they are. They are bad trees. They bear forth bad fruit. Their foundation is not in Christ. Verse 22 following. We can go on to other passages like that. But the bottom line is apostasy is assured for Jews, for Gentiles, anyone who rejects Christ and his gospel message. Anyone who does not live according to those good news of the good news that they've heard. So. That's the thing that we need to understand. So that out of the way, and we could go into detail about these things. Let's look at Romans chapter eight and realize how salvation is assured in Christ Jesus. I want us to go through chapter eight and read through some of these things that help us in that assurance. don't you look, first of all, when we go back with what Jody read for us in the first eight verses. That. These first eight verses has got to be understood in light of what was just said. So it was just said. Well, back in chapter seven, remember, Paul is speaking to those who understand law. Is through law, you know what sin is. And through law, you realize that sin is exceedingly sinful. Okay, but Paul is also saying, listen, I know that the law is good. And I know I am a man sold under sin. You see, I want to do the law, which is good. I mess up. There are times when I don't practice, which I know is good. That's what Jonathan was praying about this morning. Did you say amen to his prayer? That's what you were agreeing to. That's what Jonathan was saying. So I know the law is good, but I don't always practice that which is good. And I know I don't want to do sin. I don't want to practice sin. I hate sin. But you know what? There are times when I do it. Now that takes humility to come to that realization. Brethren, some of us... I hope you read the... Oh, man, my bad. I thought I had the bulletin printed and everything. I have um, they Dale do it. and I think we got some printed. But once, if you could, I'll try and get some more printed. Read the article if you're able to have that bulletin. Look at what's being said. But here, some some brethren just have this mindset, no, I just always live according to the Lord. (laughs) Now, we don't say it with our lips because that's too arrogant. (laughs) But we might be that way when we see someone else who's been guilty of sin. Paul is saying, I love the Lord. I love His law. I want to do it. I don't always do it. I hate sin, but sometimes I practice it. Not practice it, but sometimes I'm guilty of it. So in verse 24 of Romans chapter 7, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me from this body of death? That's the dilemma without Christ. That's the reality without Christ. But that's why in verse 25, the last sentence in in Romans 7, Paul says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind... I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Okay? So there's the reality. Well, he's summing up everything he's going to be talking about in chapter eight. With my mind, I desire to serve you, Lord, but you know what? I'm a man sold under the carnalness of the flesh. So with my body, I serve the law of sin. Okay, so now here's the mind. He says in verse one of chapter eight, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free from the law of sin and death. Okay, with my mind, I want to serve you but with the flesh. I'm guilty of sin. Jesus comes, and because I'm in Christ, I no longer walk according to sin. I now walk according to the Spirit. And because of this, Jesus made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in verse 3, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did. The law could never save. It just showed us what sin was, and that we're guilty of it. That's what the law does. But what Jesus did, he did by or what God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's the reason why apostasy, when you don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh, he did in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the flesh. Brethren, ask yourself this question. Do you set your mind to do what is contrary to God? To live according to the ways of this world? Is that the way your mind works? If that's the way your mind works, if that's what you're set on, you're not walking with the Lord. You're living in sin. You're going to die in your sin. Case closed. Now, what of those who set their minds on Christ and strive to walk in the Spirit? This is the way we want to live. This is the way we strive to live every day. Well, those who live according to the Spirit, they practice or walk and do the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, For to be carnally minded, when your mind is set on the flesh, is death. But to be spiritually minded Is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. It's not your king. Nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But he goes on to say, but brethren, you're not of the flesh. You're of the Spirit. You belong to Him. So that's what we have is this picture. Our minds are set on the Spirit, okay? And we're freed, therefore, from the law of sin and death. That's what he goes on to say. That's what he talks about in what we've just been reading in, in, in these first eight, nine verses and all the way through verse 14. And that's why he says those who practice this way of living walks according to the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, he goes on to talk about, and Paul does to the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 in contrast to those of the flesh, verses 19 through 21 in Galatians. Alright, so if we have this way that we live, that we we live according to and walk according to the Spirit, our desire is this way, does this mean that you're going to never sin? Because again, that's what Jonathan prayed. Knowing that when we still strive to live for the Lord, we may be guilty of sin and have sinned. And we ask the Lord to forgive us. But where's the mind? Is the mind like, I don't care. I just want to do what I want to do. Mitch Davis lives the way he wants. He's his own person. He makes his own choices. That's the flesh right there. If that's the who I want to live, I'm my own God. I am my own king. But if I say no to myself and yes to Jesus as my Lord, my Savior... He's the one who died for me, and He's the one who reigns over me. Then that's the way I'm going to live. I'm going to live according to His teachings, His will. I walk and live us according to the Spirit. Now look at what He goes on to say then. Look at the result of those who walk according to the Spirit. Beginning in verse 12 and reading through verse 15 and and in past. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, but... To live according to the the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption. Wait a second. These words right now are blasphemous to Jews. Do you know that there is no word... Equivalent to Abba in Aramaic for the Jew. Did you know that? If you were a Jew, there was no word like daddy. When your child says daddy, man, I don't know about you. <laughs> Warms me up every time. Greeks had pater, right? Daddy. It's an intimate way of saying Father. To the Jewish mind, that's blasphemous because it sounds irreverent. But that's exactly Paul saying this. With a Jewish background, a Jewish mindset, but using the Greek and using the Aramaic. Got two words together to let his brethren know what it's like when you have a relationship with your Father who's so far above us. So holy and we are not. And you can call Him Father. The very reason why Jesus was rejected because He said, I am His Son. And now we can be called sons of God? Yes. Through adoption we can. Yes. We can be a child. I want you to know that relative to you, I might be too lenient or too strict as a father. There are times when I discipline my children. And to others, I may be, again, too strict or too lenient. But you know what? I can tell you this. That when I've been hard on my children with with my fatherly ways, I still love them dearly. They still belong to me. And there are times when, I tell you what, they get in trouble. That's (laughs) lame. Still love him dearly. And you know what he wants to do? He desires to listen to his dad. He says so himself. Levi says, Daddy, I want to do good. I want to listen to you. I love when my daughters will say to me, Dad, I love you. And sometimes I don't understand why you do some of the things that you do. But I know you love me and I know you want what's best for me. When they tell me that, it brings joy to my heart. You see, our God is the same way. He loves us. He wants us to be close to him. To call upon His name. To live with Him. And when we fail. 1 John chapter 1. What does it say in verses 7 through 9? That we can ask Him forgiveness. And He is able and just to forgive us. And you can go on and note that when we walk according to His ways. That we have assurance of that salvation. That's what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 8. That's why we can be such A people that would look to our God and call a God who is creator, who is so powerful that we cannot even comprehend his wisdom, let alone his power, let alone his mercy, his salvation. We cannot comprehend it other than the words given to us. And that's our God we can call Father. Brethren, that's not a message of assurance. I don't know what is. But these are for those who walk according to the Spirit. And that is why, excuse me for, for this not coming through. When you read Romans chapter 8, remember verses um, 28 through 30. How we have this relationship with God that through the Spirit we can, we can um, converse with Him. In fact, from verse 26 following through there. And then when you get to verses 31 through 39, how He says, Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. Look at all the trials, all the turmoils, all the things that would just weigh us down. He says nothing can. In fact, I want to read that so that we get this assurance of what Paul is saying to the saints at Rome. The very assurance. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his only son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring charge against us? Against God's elect, that is. It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Why would he need to intercede on our behalf? Because we need it. (laughs) And he provides it. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it's written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, just like our Savior. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. How? Through him. Brethren, that's the confidence that I'm talking about. Our confidence is not from ourselves, but through him. One more time. Reading that text you are yet in all these things in verse 37 we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and i am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of god which is in christ jesus our lord brethren I'm telling you right now that's assurance I can assuredly tell you right now, not because I live better than others. Or that I have this assurance that is deceptive and a blind or believing a lie mentality that says, oh, yeah, I'm saved. There are those that say that and walk as ungodly a walk as all get out. And that's where some of these religious teachings that follow. Very bluntly, this Calvinistic mindset. I can do whatever. doesn't matter. I just live the way I want to live. This mindset that I'm talking about says, I'm going to live all to the glory of God, to the best of my ability. And guess what? I'm still going to be guilty from time to time, sinning against God. But that's not because I want to. I'm ashamed when I do it. I feel bad when I do it. And I ask God to forgive me. But I'm telling you right now, as that as I stand here and may be guilty of sin and probably will sin sometime in this future. I have a God who loves me and I have a savior who intercedes on my behalf. And I'm assured of my salvation because I'm walking with him. Brethren, that assurance. Is in Christ. That assurance is what lets me live the way I live. And when I'm living this way, I'm trying to serve the Lord and I have doubts going, man, but you know what? I fail. You know, I'm, I'm trying to quit smoking. I'm trying to quit drinking. I'm trying to quit these drugs. I'm trying to quit pornography. I'm trying to quit um, homosexual behavior. I'm trying to whatever the sin you want to put in. I'm trying, Lord. God is greater than our sin. So why the debate, brethren? When the scriptures are abundantly clear. Well. I could go into the whole why into a nitty gritty detail. But I want to just sum it up. Because we think we need to be perfect of our own accord. That's why. But we can't. We never, that's the reason why we need a savior. I know of brethren who have tried to live perfectly. Some of them have left this world because they could not and were suicidal. I've known a brethren. I know a brethren who are depressed because they try and try and try and live for the Lord and, like, I give up. I cannot do it. As if the power was in them to begin with. That's because of this mindset that we've been teaching for so long. It's not a teaching of assurance. It's a teaching that says, I'm the one. It's up to me. And if that's the case, brethren, I think we missed the whole picture of the gospel message. I believe we missed the whole picture of why Jesus came to die for us on our behalf. I I believe we missed the picture of what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 7 and 8. I believe we missed the picture of what John was saying when he wrote that letter, what we call 1 John. For those who have this logical Gnostic mindset. So if we have questions about our walk with the Lord, if you're trying to serve the Lord and you genuinely are trying to serve him, God is greater than your doubts. First John, chapter three, verse 19 and 20 tells us our confidence in verse 21, when we read the text here in first John, chapter three, is very clear. I want to finish with this passage and we'll be done. First John, I want you to look at chapter three. In fact, if you have more questions, read the whole letter of first John. That's exactly what he's dealing with. Read it from the mindset of what Paul, or excuse me, John is trying to accomplish. In verse 19, by this we know, we know, we have assurance, we have knowledge, a good understanding knowledge, that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Very simple. Our confidence is not in ourselves, it's in God. Our confidence is in God because Jesus Christ is the Savior. He's the one who died for us. He's the one that gives us this understanding of who we're living for and why we're living in this way. In verse 23 of First of John chapter 3, and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his Son Jesus Christ and love one another, as he gave us commandment. Believe his Son is Jesus Christ and love each other. Does that sound like Matthew 22 verse 37 to 39? Does that ring a bell? <laughs> Love the Lord your, heart, your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. In this case, believe in His Son. And do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another. And this is commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Now He who keeps His commandments abides in Him and He in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us. By the Spirit whom He has given us. Very spirit that when we came under control of Jesus Christ, when the gospel message was proclaimed, we repented and were baptized into Christ, had our sins washed away. What did Peter say would be given when we did these things by faith? You'd have the gift of that spirit. I believe that's what we're talking about here. Those who give themselves over to the Lord, they keep His commandments. They do His will to the best of our ability. Then when the end comes, we can say, if I have fought the good fight, there is laid up for me, what? The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. If the Apostle Paul can say it, and he did say it, he said, and also for everyone else who believes. It's not limited to someone who had divine revelation. It is for every single child of God to rest assured that when you live for the Lord and when you come to your final breath, you can be just like him you can be just like the Apostle Paul. And guess what, brethren? As a modern day example, in recent weeks, you can be like a brother in Christ. Who places confidence in Jesus Christ. You can have that same confidence. Not arrogance in yourself. Confidence in the Lord. That's what you have. So I'm asking you right now, when you look at the things that are being said here this morning... You always know there's always going to be this discussion because we want to get down to that nitty-gritty and and the minutiae detail and, and to see how can this be so. But the scriptures are abundantly clear. Live in the spirit of our Savior. Walk confidently in Him and have that confidence and graciousness to know that your salvation is found in Him. That's assurance. See, we're going to sing that song, Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. Now, when you sing these words, either you're going to sing it with conviction or you need to be convicted by Christ, by his good news. And then you can sing it with conviction if you believe he is the risen Christ, the son of God. So what are you going to do when you sing the song? If you sing it with conviction, brethren, sing it out loud, sing it with joy in your hearts, sing it with assurance Of the salvation that God has promised each one of us. Sing it that way. And then go let the world know of that assurance that you have. Let them know the hope that you have that is within you. That's what God wants us to do.